What role and impact does your school culture have within your building? This week's guest, Darren Peppard, shares how the culture created by the leaders in the building impact every aspect of the school, which could lead down the road to awesome. In this episode, we discuss the importance of knowing the logistical management and the instructional development, surprises as a superintendent, how to improve your leadership skills through coaching, and Darren's new book, Road to Awesome. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Darren, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for having me. I'm excited about this. We're going to definitely dive into school leadership and school culture, what you're doing with Road to Awesome, and I'm so excited to dive into those important topics. But before we do that, will you just share a little bit about your educational and leadership journey? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So I am uh, just wrapping up my 26th year in education. I actually started out as a classroom teacher in Northwest Arizona. And uh, I had a wonderful time there, spent 11 years there, was a head basketball coach, tennis coach, coached junior high football, just really had a great experience teaching first middle school. And then I taught high school science for the, the balance of that time that I was there. And right. actually, while, you know, during my, during my early years as a classroom teacher, my first principal, who is, is still to this day, I think one of the two or three best mentors I've ever had, said something to me about, about leadership. And um, I think it was the start of my second year uh, as a teacher, and her name is Betsy. And when, when Betsy stopped and, and said something to me about, you know, Darren, you need to think about going into educational leadership. Josh, I'm kidding you, man. Is it had to be the first time my name and leadership were ever used in the same sentence. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think I even got to like be the line leader in elementary school, but it really, you know, it set me on a new path and had me looking at, you know, the work, the work that I did and, and how I guess I molded, you know, my behaviors and my actions around around where I wanted to go. And that led to me getting my my master's degree in educational leadership from Northern Arizona University. And then my wife and I, were we met in Wyoming. I grew up in Wyoming. All of our family was there. We wanted to go back. And our daughter was was six years old. We wanted her to be around cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And so we moved back to Wyoming and I ended up taking an assistant principal position. Uh, so my first leadership title, I guess, uh, was assistant principal. I was in charge of discipline and attendance, you know, that that ever thankless job um, at, a, at a high school in Southwest Wyoming. Was there 11 years. And ultimately, after, after a handful of years, became the principal of that high school. And, you know, that was really where, you know, eventually we'll, you know, today we'll talk about school culture and climate. We'll talk about you know, the things that I'm super passionate about with leadership coaching and all of those things came about during that time that, uh, that I was in Rock Springs. There was, you know, a couple of different events and a couple just opportunities, I think, that helped shape my thinking around leadership. You know, I reached a point where um, I had this belief that I, I needed to chase the next role. And four years ago, I accepted a superintendent position where, where I currently am, which is in kind of north central Colorado. So I'm the superintendent of schools at West Grand School District, which actually will be coming to an end at the end of at the end of June. I've I've resigned. I'm moving full time into my leadership coaching and consulting and the publishing business. And I, I know we're going to talk about all that, yeah. but yeah, 26 years in education, and if there's a hat to be worn, I think I've had it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons I want to have you on this podcast is because you have gone through all those different roles and. 
wow, 26 years, what an amazing journey that you've been on. And I want to start, if you don't mind, just at the beginning, because, you know, I think that's really important for my listeners, especially this time of year, teachers are thinking about becoming leaders and trying to figure out what they're going to do within their plans to, to get to that next level. So what were some important aspects of your journey early on as far as becoming a administrator from a teacher? I think a big part of it, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, that, that Betsy had, you know, made a comment to me about leadership. Yeah. And even just in that moment, I think it reshaped how I observed those who were in leadership roles. And I think that, you know, gave me the opportunity to think about, you know, not just necessarily the positions, you know, the principal or assistant principal or, or what have you, but also, you know, what what is it that goes into being in those roles and being successful in those roles? And mm-hmm. You know, when I first became an assistant principal, the, the principal who had hired me, who was, was a brilliant, brilliant principal, had told me, you know, pay real close attention to the things that people do wrong just as much as you pay attention to things they do right, because you'll learn in both situations. Yep. And I think that's that's maybe the most wise sage advice that I probably ever got was, you know, you'll definitely learn a lot from the things people do right, but also when they make mistakes, because we all make mistakes. And it wasn't, you know, hey, watch this person screw up and fail. It was watch this person and see how do they react when they make a mistake, because we we all do that. Um, I think, yeah, as as I was preparing to, you know, jump from a teacher role into a school administrator role, a lot of it was just really looking and listening. And I I asked a lot of questions. Um, I worked um, at the high school where I was before, before I became an administrator, um, I, you know, I had a couple of really good friends that were part of the the leadership team. And I just, I mean, I picked their brain all the time. Yeah. I think any teacher who's aspiring right now to take the leap into a leadership role, uh, those are, those are the most important things. You know, you can go and do all the studying you want with, you know, how's the school performing and what are the initiatives they're doing? And those things are very important, but that work should be done. Right. But, really paying attention to those who are in those roles, um, whether it's, you know, you're aspiring to be in the school you're in as a leader, or if you're looking to go to another one, just pay attention to what other leaders are doing and how they, how they respond when, when things don't go perfect. And goodness sakes, this year, we've had tons of examples of when things didn't go perfect. Yeah, more than I can count. That's for sure. I want to talk about when you were a principal, right? You said you started to really hone in on the ideas of climate and culture. So was there something that occurred? Maybe it was a failure or maybe it was a win for you um, in that role? Or what was it that you really wanted to hone in on on that specific topic? Yeah. So the school culture and climate thing really predates me being a principal. It was when I was an assistant principal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had said that, you know, I was in charge of discipline attendance. I actually held two assistant principal roles in the first five years I was at that school, okay. first discipline attendance, and then curriculum and instruction, sure. um, which, wow, that, that's a spot. If, if, if you're aspiring to be a building principal, at the, especially at the secondary level, if you have the opportunity to learn in a curriculum and instruction role, whew, yep. what, what a great role. We, we can talk more about that in a minute, but it was, it was my very first year in that discipline and attendance role. And uh, to be honest with you, the culture at our school was absolutely all about catching people doing things wrong, whether it was kids or adults. And I'm, I'm embarrassed by it, but I got real good at it real quick. Yep. Um, I fell right into that culture. And um, we were having a, 
a meeting and you talk about one moment, one event, we were having a staff meeting that probably is still happening um, at schools all across the country. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about two questions to change my life. And they were asking this meeting, but it wasn't the two questions that that we had started the meeting focused on. And we what we thought was the most important things in education in that moment. What are we going to do about hats? What are we going to do about cell phones? That was the meeting. I mean, it, I'm sure you've attended that meeting. We all have multiple times, probably. And yep. like I said, you know, people are still trying to solve it. And you know, I'll just tell you what the answer is. Quit worrying about it. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yes, that's not important. But I could, that's a diatribe I can run on for an hour. But yeah. but partway through that meeting, you know, we're coming up with all these different consequences and all this kind of stuff. And and um, one of the social workers, a gal named Spring, she raised her hand and and hit me just you know like a like a one two punch with two questions. And it was, Darren, why does it always have to be about what they do wrong? Mm-hmm. And then she followed it up with, why can't it be about what they do right? And I mean, I. I'd get goosebumps still, you know, as many years later as this then, because that changed me as a leader. It changed me as a, as, you know, as a husband, as a father, heck as a human being, not, not immediately. Yeah, I, sure. I, you know, it, it wasn't that kind of a, but you know, when you reflect back yep. and we started shifting the focus on our culture of let's start catching them doing things right. And let's recognize and reward and reinforce those behaviors. And, and if we do that, we're going to start to see more and more of those behaviors. And we'll start to see the behaviors we don't want to you know, decrease because we were putting the spotlight all in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that first year I was at that school, um, we had just over a thousand students and I did over 2000 discipline referrals that year. Wow. And, you know, I mean, it was things like, you know, kid not bringing a pencil to class. Right. Hey, here's a solution. Give them a pencil, you know, <laughs> quit sending them to the office. Just give the kid a pencil, yep. you know, but those were the things that we were dealing with and, you know, a fight a week or multiple fights a week. And I mean, just, it was rough. You know, yeah. our attendance was like 84%. Graduation rate was below 70 and Hey, it's time for us to, to flip the switch here. Let's, Let's start really putting the spotlight on the behaviors we want to see. And it started with us really identifying what do we value? What's important to us? And then how do we align our behaviors and our actions to to mirror that? Mm -hmm. So that's what really drove me deep into the, the school culture and climate work. Yeah. No, I love that. And yes, I have been in those meetings and I have had to you know, have that crucial conversation of just give a child a pencil. The student does not yeah. need to miss instructional time with you for such a small infraction. Well, because the kid knows that's the trigger. Oh, if- you know, hey, if I don't want to be here, if I just don't come with a pencil. So yeah, I started giving people, you know, cases of pencils. Well, what oh. if I run out? Let me know. I'll get you some more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take the excuse away. Exactly. So. All right. So let's go back to you talked about the different roles, right? You were a discipline slash attendance uh, assistant principal and then you moved into the curriculum and instructional um, AP role. So what were the two differences and why did you say that the curriculum instruction was so vital to you to move to the next level? Yeah. So, you know, obviously in the discipline attendance role, you know, you're dealing with, you know, consequences and policy violations and, and those types of things. I really tried to look at that role as an opportunity to build relationships, mm-hmm. you know, really get to know the kids and really get to know the teachers. When I transitioned two years, two years after I started into curriculum and instruction, we were 
in the process, we had developed smaller learning communities at our high school. By this point, our high school is about 1,200 students. When I left, it was about 1,400. Mm -hmm. But we had started the small learning community work and we're really starting to drive PLC work in our school. But one of the most important things we wanted to do was we wanted to increase rigor through relevance and relationships. And we had done a lot of research on career academies. And in, you know, in kind of the Rocky Mountain West, career academies are not really frequent. You know, there's certain parts of the country where every school has different academies, but in, you know, in Southwest Wyoming, it was unheard of. So we were able to develop two at the time. There are now three at that school, but, you know, just really strong career academies. And so I, I say that that role was, was such an important role for multitude of reasons, but in many ways, when I made the transition from assistant principal to principal and my superintendent said, Darren, I need you to be the instructional leader. Josh, I already was, yep. you know, I, if it happened inside the walls of a classroom and it wasn't discipline, it was me. You know, I, I was everything from testing to master scheduling to any curriculum adoptions. I led professional development. I mean, all of those big pieces mm -hmm. that for many aspiring leaders, when they become a principal, they're going to have to do that stuff. Right. And so if you have the opportunity to, to have a role like that, it was for me, when, when I transitioned that half of the job, I was like, man, I got that. I'm comfortable there. Now the, op the operational leadership, the day-to-day -day operational, not leadership of management. Right. I wasn't prepared for that. I actually led to my topic on my, in my dissertation was principal perceptions on their own preparation in instructional leadership and in operational management. Hmm. And it was, it was interesting to see some people felt very good and very comfortable in operational management, yeah. you know, managing a budget and, and facilities and those types of things they were comfortable with. Yep. I was not, then maybe they weren't as comfortable in instructional leadership as was I. Yeah. And that balance too, as the leader of a school, having to have your hands in, in both worlds, a lot of people probably don't even realize that component of it. And I think that's so important that you brought that up. I want to talk about you being a superintendent real quick before we dive into some other topics, uh, especially I want to talk about your book too. But I just want to yeah. know what lessons you've learned as a superintendent. I, I can't imagine what it feels like to be in charge of a school, let alone an entire district. So what are some things that you've learned through that process? Oh, you know, it's been interesting, yeah, especially obviously with, with a year of a year plus of a pandemic. Yeah. But, you know, prior to that, you know, the thing I would tell you is there is so much that goes on behind the scenes, if you will, as a superintendent, that until you are in the role, you just you just wouldn't know. You know, I remember when I, when I accepted the position and was having a conversation with some folks at, at the high school where I was the principal, I was talking to some parents. One of them said something like, so you're going to go be a politician. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not going to go be a politician. I'm going to go, I'm going to go lead the whole system. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a lot of the political work uh, that goes into it, you know, having conversations with legislators and, and working through, um, you know, I, I'm, I sit on the state superintendent of instructions, rural council. And so a lot of conversations with Colorado Department of Education. Mm -hmm. And then there's this stuff that I love the most, which is like the large scale, how do I really impact a system? Right. And I'll give you one example. Uh, there's, there's several in the four years that I've been here, but 
um, at the end of my first year. And so the, the town where my district is, is a really small town. The district's about 450 kids, okay. uh, have about 80 employees. Uh, I mean, it's half, you know, not even half the size is like a, a third of the size yeah. of the high school that I left before. But, you know, in that small town, um, the end of my first year, we find out that um, one of the two licensed daycare providers is closing their doors. And that left only like six licensed daycare slots. As, as a principal, I never thought about that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, as a superintendent, it's okay. Well, I have a lot of young staff. I don't want to lose them because they can't find daycare. Yep. You know, they're going to start. You know, they're going to begin having you know having families and expanding on their families. And so, you know, I was able to work collectively with uh, with our local hospital with. Right. Um, our local, you know, town board, um, a handful of, of others, uh, the early childhood council in the county. And ultimately, we opened our own early childhood center, hmm. which has been great because it has kept our young teachers there. And, and now it's starting to fill up with with their children. But those are the kinds of things that it, it's an interesting problem solving thing. Now, I will tell you, too, another thing about being a superintendent that I never would have thought of until uh, until I did it was the like the very first first full week of school our kindergarten teachers had invited me to come down and and you know let let the kindergartners meet me and I got to meet the kinders and mm-hmm. I taught five years at the junior high level and then I taught six years at the high school and then 11 years as a high school administrator the land of the littles was a very foreign place for me <laughs> yes. and you know when I when I first went into one of the kindergarten rooms and they were doing calendars so they're over sitting on the mat and I went and the kindergarten teacher offered me a chair, but it's one of those kindergarten chairs that's, you know, like three inches off the ground. Sure. And I'm like, no, I'll just sit on the mat with the kids. You know, I'm, I can do that. So I got down on my knees and the little boy sitting right next to me patted the mat. And he said, we sit crisscross applesauce on the mat. <laughs> and so, so there were two things that happened that day, both that I didn't think were possible. One, I actually sat crisscross applesauce. And two, I was able to get up from sitting crisscross <laughs> applesauce. So you learn a lot in the land of the littles. And it's, it's very much a, just a rejuvenating place. I, I love it so much. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Darren, I want to talk about leadership development because I know you do it in two worlds, right? You do it as a superintendent and probably have done that as you have gone up the mm-hmm. ranks, but then also you do it, you know, as far as a, a coach and a consultant. I want to know about those two worlds and how are you building up school leaders? You know, I think that, especially right now, you know, we're, we're at a time where across the country, we're going to be seeing a turnover in leadership like we've never seen before. So many new leaders first emerging into roles, and then also leaders that are now moving from, you know, assistant principal to principal or, or, you know, what have you. I think that the, the number one thing that I do as, as a coach that I really strive for when I'm working with any of my clients is to help them gain their own perspective. It's, it's not about what Darren thinks is important. I know we'll talk about the book in a minute, but, but as kind of a crossover example, in the book, I, I list the six things I think for me are the most important in leadership. The right. things that I am going to go stand on the balcony and look down, you know, get that 30,000 foot view of myself 
how am I doing in these six categories? What I really try to do with, with any client that I'm working with, and, and even, you know, yeah, leaders that when I was a principal growing my assistant principals or as a superintendent growing principals and assistant principals, I want them to know what's important to them. You know, don't, don't go try to be, try to be me. Don't go try to be Jimmy, Jimmy Casas. Don't try to be Joe Sanfilippo. Those, those guys have been brilliant at who they are, but the leader that each individual is, they got to be true to themselves and be true to what is important to them. And then also what's important to your community and in your school and, and how do you align those values? So when, when I'm working with, with new clients um, or even starting up, you know, another year with a client, let's go right back to that. What's important how do we align our behaviors and our actions and our decisions to that so we're consistent? I think when we do that, then it's clear to us, what do we got to go stand on the balcony for? What do we got to go to the 30,000 foot view and check ourselves on how are we doing in whatever the number is? For me, it just happens to be six. It could be three. It could be eight. Who cares? Doesn't matter. It's this is important to me. Now I need to be checking on myself regularly to see how, how am I doing? And, and again, how do my behaviors and actions align with what I say is important? And Darren, you touched on it. Road to Awesome is your book. And I would love for you to share with anyone that hasn't read your book yet about what are the things inside that you're passionate about and, and what you're sharing within that wonderful resource. Yeah, so, so in the book, a lot of it is, is it's just my leadership journey. Uh, it's a whole lot of stories from, at that time, 25 years uh, in education. And there's very much an underlying theme. Uh, it is a leadership book, but a very strong underlying theme in culture and climate. Because that, to me, I feel like culture and climate is the single most important thing. Right. If we don't have that culture and that climate that allows for, for risk-taking, for, you know, for people to, to feel like they're part of something special, None of the other work really is going to make the impact that we that we think it would. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to refer to that as a culture gap. You know, you've I'm sure you've heard the phrase at some point in time when you you know purchase a new curricular resource or, or whatever, and the scores go down. Well, it's an implementation dip. In my opinion, Josh, implementation dips don't exist. Right. What they really are is culture gaps. You, you didn't have your culture at a place where you could bring this in. The concept of the book is, like I said earlier, you know, the six things that I think are most important mm-hmm. in leadership for me. So being very clear on your vision and your values as, as number one, your culture and climate as, as number two, empowering kids, empowering adults, telling the story. And then I believe very strongly in coaching. So to, to me, those are the six things that, that are essential and, and very crucial in leaders being successful. Again, you know, a lot of stories from throughout my career that, that really kind of tie it all together. And then I wrap it up with an opportunity for leaders and aspiring leaders to put their own plan together. Again, I, with that book, I don't want it to be, well, Darren says these are the six most important things. So, well, that must be gospel. No, not at all. Rather, okay, look at it through my lens. Now, hopefully you're reflecting through your own lens as you're going through the book and identifying, yeah, these are the things that I think are important for me. And here's how I'm going to go carry, carry out that plan. So um, that's, that's in essence what you know what the book is about. And you didn't stop there. You are now publishing a bunch of books within the educational field. Yeah. So where did that yeah. begin, and why did you want to start publishing other people's work? You know, I I believe so strongly in and and it's it's either the third or the fourth one. I don't remember the order of empowering kids or empowering adults. I don't remember which order I put them in in the book, but I just really feel very strongly with with Road to Awesome, my company that 
I want to lift the voices of, of other educators as much as possible. When I was going through the process of, of getting my book published through Codebreaker, I'd actually started out with another publisher and, and some things weren't going very smooth and I wasn't really getting responded, responded to for, for whatever the reason. And then I connected with Codebreaker. But in the interim, I thought about, well, maybe I would self-publish. Had that conversation with Brian Aspinall with, with Codebreaker. The book got published last July and then kind of out of nowhere in, uh, in late or early December, rather, of 2020, Brian sent me a text and he said, I have an idea. And, you know, Codebreaker obviously has continued to grow and grow and grow and crank out amazing books. Brian said, you know, hey, what do you think about Road to Awesome Publishing? We'll support you. We'll, you know, we'll help get you started. And then this is your opportunity to take off and run. You know, he knew what my long-term plans were. And, you know, I keep calling them long-term plans, but now they're actually what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so it wasn't very long-term. It was pretty short-term. But yeah, in December, uh, we, we announced our partnership. You know, that partnership will go, you know, through the first X number of books and, and then Road to Awesome is fully, fully on its own. And at this point, we have three books that have been published. Interestingly, the very first one we did was Road to Awesome, not the one I did, but the children's book that uh, I did in partnership with Jillian Du Bois, which has its own very interesting story, how that book came about. But it's a wonderful children's book. Our main character's name is Blake, and it's about about our young people understanding they have control of, of where they go and, and they have the ability to, to dream big and, and to chase those dreams. And then our second book was, uh, speaking of aspiring leaders, um, Taking the Leap, the Aspiring Leaders Field Guide from Robert Breyer. Yeah. And then just last week, uh, Transform, Techie Notes to Make Learning Sticky from Debbie Tannenbaum Drop. And we've got a whole bunch more coming, coming very, very soon. We just awesome. started on on one from uh, an author, a teacher in the uh, Upper Peninsula in Michigan, uh, a guy named John Van Deuce, really excited about his book. So very cool. Yeah, it just came from the passion for lifting other people's voices. And it mm -hmm. honestly, Josh, it moved very quickly, much more quickly than I would have anticipated. Well, you mentioned Rob Breyer. I love that guy. And I'm going to have him on the podcast here soon to talk about his new book, because I know that resource is going to be as impactful as yours um, to help leaders. So I want to talk about your coaching and consulting that you do also, you know, what is it that you have to offer to my listeners as far as those two realms? I think there's two different, two different little branches in there. And, and the coaching and the consulting is really about, again, growing leaders, whether, whether those are aspiring leaders just moving into their first opportunity mm -hmm. or leaders who are, are transitioning or maybe even just, just need that outside outs perspective. Uh, you know, I think for, for all of us, coaching is so valuable. My second year as a principal, we had a new superintendent. Uh, honestly, my first year as a principal, wow, I, I breathed through a snorkel the entire year. My head was underwater. And when, when our new superintendent came in, he came from a much, much larger district out of state. And he wanted all of his principals to have leadership coaches. And it was something I'd never even heard of. My leadership coach and I just were the perfect match. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget Tom telling me one of the first times he, he spent a day in my school, we were maybe an hour in and he's like, you've got to stop being a firefighter and you've got to start being a leader. And here are the steps we're going to take. And so for me, as, as a coach and as, as a leadership mentor, it's providing that type of, of feedback and helping leaders reach goals. 
to me, it's so valuable when it's not somebody who is your supervisor. It's not somebody who's evaluating you. It's just somebody who is simply there to support you. I do that in a lot of different ways. Obviously, it can be done virtual. Um, my preference is to go at least, you know, once, twice, three times a year to that person's campus and spend a day or so with them. The, the new piece that, that has really spawned this year is now putting together two-day summer academies with, uh, with the leader or their team or, you know, some of the other critical people in, in the school, you know, the, the principal secretary, the, you know, perhaps the, the, you know, a few lead teachers, assistant principals, counselors, lead custodians. I mean, you know, people that, people that can make or break a leader and, you know, spending, you know, one day or two days really getting back to, I know I sound like a broken record, but getting back to what's important to you. How do you align your behaviors to that? What steps are you going to take? And then helping them set small goals. And, you know, I get to help hold them accountable to those goals. On the speaking side, right now, I have three different keynote speeches that, that are getting booked up quite a bit already to start the school year. You know, one that, that I put together fairly recently did at the Codebreaker Power Summit that is Educators Matter. You know, we went through a really hard year. It's important that educators hear how much they matter and the difference that they make. And, and I really focus on that through two areas. I focus on it through just the impact that they make. Um, And I I do that through sharing a few of my own stories, but then also sharing some stories from people that are right there that are part of the audience. And then the other side of it is just the human experience. In in education, what we do, I mean, we're in the people business, right? I mean, our product is people. And so that human experience is just so, so important. Another one of my keynotes is Road Awesome Leadership. And then the third one is, is much more geared towards students and school culture and climate. And that is just game changers. 43 different real quick hitting ideas that, you know, here's some things you can do to really, you know, make a quick impact on your culture. So Darren, for those who want to connect with you about any of those things that we've talked about as far as, you know, Road to Awesome, all the amazing things that you guys are doing, the coaching, the consulting, how can they connect with you on social media? Yeah, on social media, I've made it real easy. I'm at Darren M. Peppered on everything. Even now on Clubhouse, I'm Darren M. Peppered. <laughs> so I, I just tried to make it as simple as possible. The website's uh, same deal too. So DarrenMPeppered.com uh, and then RoadToAwesome.net uh, are the two websites. Well, Darren, you are making a huge ripple effect amongst the educational space. And I am so excited to see what else Road to Awesome is going to bring in this upcoming year. And I just appreciate you so much and for coming on the Spire podcast. I really appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so much. I had a really good time with our conversation.